Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. We have a lot to talk about on today's show. We've recently got to speak with Gino for the first time in about a month. We got to speak with the players today on Tuesday for the first time in person since March 2020. So lots of updates on the team. UConn's non-conference schedule is almost complete. A lot more former Huskies going to the Olympics. The NCAA will now allow players to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness and sign endorsement deals. But before we get into all that, just a couple of show notes. First, some good news if you don't like one of our segments. Some great news if you really like one of our segments. So I know Megan and I talk a lot about the U.S. Women's National Team on here just because it is our only platform to do so. Or I should say it was our only platform to do so. We've decided to launch a very casual U.S. Women's National Team podcast called Rose, White, and Blue. You can find that on Apple, Stitcher, or Spotify. We'll have all of the links to that in the show notes. So if you haven't liked those segments, you don't need to listen to them anymore. If you have liked those segments, you get a full podcast out of it now. And in terms of actual Chasing Perfection news, we've had one guest, Meg Como, which now feels like years ago. If all goes according to plan, we will have another guest in two weeks for our next show, and it will be a very, very interesting guest, but that's all I'll say to tease it out. So to get into the news, UConn has some new non-conference dates. First, they announced they're going to have a series with North Carolina State starting in 2022-2023 at home in stores. I don't know why I called them North Carolina State. I really didn't like that. NC State as you know everyone else calls them then they will travel down to where are they raleigh they're somewhere in that research triangle right i think raleigh that's a good question i'll look it up for you Hold on. okay but they travel down to raleigh assuming that's where they play in 2023 2024 okay. okay there we go they do travel there they've also extended their series with south carolina the last year of their current contract ends this year with UConn traveling to South Carolina. So then it'll just repeat the way it was. The Gamecocks will come up here in 2022, 2023, and then they will go to Columbia in 2023, 2024. Finally, Olivia Nelson Adota is getting her homecoming game. UConn will travel down to Georgia Tech in Atlanta this year, Thursday, December 9th for her homecoming game. She's from Winder, Georgia, which if you know the geography of Georgia, which I don't, but I had to look this up on a map, it's kind of between Athens and Atlanta. She said it's about an hour or so away for her family, depending on traffic. That leaves UConn with home games this year in non-conference against Notre Dame and Tennessee, away games against Oregon, South Carolina, and Georgia Tech, a neutral game against Louisville, and then the Battle for Atlantis tournament in the Bahamas, which will feature three games against opponents which are not yet announced. If my math is correct, that leaves them with one spot open on their non-conference schedule because they can play a maximum of 27 games if they play in a multi-team event. So they have 20 Big East games, six non-conference games currently scheduled, one left. I'd imagine they schedule that. You'd hope that it at home just because two non-conference games at home or I guess two and a half if we can throw Louisville in there because that's at Mohegan Sun that's a very small non-conference schedule to have especially when you're trying to spread that out over 
I'd imagine November and December is all non-conference and then you get into conference in January. So that's a lot to try and fit, or that's a long time not to be playing at home if you don't add a third non-conference game at home. So just what do you think about all those series where the non-conference schedule stands now and where it could go? Yeah, so I think, I mean, the major news is the addition of two, or not NCC, two ACC teams. So I guess after last year trying to play all of the SEC, we're trying to play all of the <laughs> ACC this season. Uh, but I mean, NC State, I think, is a great ad. There's some a team that's been at the top of the ACC right alongside Louisville for the past couple of seasons, a program that's kind of definitely come more into the national spotlight. Um, and Elisa Kunane will be a, a junior there and one of the best players in the country. So a really good ad in having a, a strong ACC opponent, a, a opponent that's going to be a top tier team on the schedule. And then Georgia Tech, obviously, I mean, lives homecoming game, but also a program that's kind of been up and coming in the ACC. So good to get kind of more of that, you know, mid-tier of a power conference opponent in there as well. But I agree with you. I think the next step has to be to get something else at home. Um, and I feel like it's probably who's going to be your home opener that they need to add at home at this point, because unless you're going to open the season against Notre Dame or Tennessee, which I mean, I guess you could, but it would be surprising to see that. So I feel like that's the one we're waiting on still. Right. And UConn also likes those non-conference games in January and February. So you kind of think one of those Notre Dame or Tennessee games would be in that range so that they could have a home game in there if they play maybe South Carolina in February. Yeah, you're really kind of short on games. It it almost doesn't feel like it has enough games. I guess it's probably just because this is going to be the first normal year in the Big East where they have 20 non-conference games or 20 conference games, I should say. So maybe the conference schedule is going to start earlier and the non-conference slate is just shorter than we're remembering it to be or what we're used to be. But yeah, just get a nice doesn't have to be a power five team, but it would maybe like a good mid-tier power five team, someone that you can probably beat pretty easily. You don't need that to be some huge, big draw game because that first game at Gamble or XL, wherever it is, you're going to have a sellout basically whenever those tickets go on sale because people are going to be dying to get to that first game back. So I don't think you need to go anything big with that. But yeah, one more non-conference game at home, you would hope. Otherwise, it's a pretty unbalanced schedule like they had. I can't remember how many years ago it was. I want to say it was maybe Katie Lou Samuelson. Two years ago. Two years ago was the best home schedule ever. Yep. They were marketing it. So it must have been the year before because they must have been away for all of those games. So Lou and Fisa's senior year, basically. It must have been that year where they had almost no home non-conference games. And they played like once or twice at XL or in Gamble before the new year or something. It, it was crazy where they were just almost never at home, but it probably won't be as bad, but still just kind of weird. Yeah, exactly. I think you, you got to hope that they're going to add another home one there. So that you're not on the road, totally. especially when you still have a young team and stuff. I think mean, just having that long of a road stretch is maybe not the best plan. So hopefully another one at home, you would have to guess it's the opener though. I feel like the way Notre Dame has been playing as of late, you could also you know, slate them in as the opener, but they are your mid to bottom tier R5 school right now. So I would not mind seeing them pick up a little bit tougher opponent too and have them at home too. That's a good call. I think the NC state series is going to be really interesting just because it almost seems like an annual event now in women's college basketball, where NC state starts really hot, they fly up in the top 25 
and the entire discussion is, well, is this team actually for real or have they just played bad teams and they're going to get exposed eventually? And it feels like that's almost an annual thing where just never know how good NC state actually is. So I guess now that they're on the UConn schedule, we're going to get a firsthand front row look at if NC state is actually good or not, which I think is a pretty good measuring test and should be good for just the entire women's college basketball game to have that sort of measuring stick, not only for UConn, but to see where NC state is too, considering how frequently they've been not quite knocking into that top tier that UConn, South Carolina, and probably Baylor, but not really anymore. If Kim Mulkey's not there, that top tier, but it feels like they're almost right below that, or maybe two tiers below that. It'll be good to see where exactly they stand in those two years, at least. Yeah. And it feels like UConn always kind of tries to play all those teams that are in that top group. They added, you know, this Oregon series back when they had their big three and got really good. And, you know, South Carolina, I went back in Asia Wilson's time when South Carolina started to become good. So it feels like NC state is kind of the next team that's entering that, that upper group. So good to see them get on the schedule and be a part of UConn's kind of rotation of games. And UConn's also got a pretty good non-conference schedule going in the future, which as has been an issue in the past where teams haven't wanted to play them because they're so good. If this year's UConn team goes out and basically just blows through everyone there, that's probably not going to change for the next two, three, four years, depending on how high page Beckers and AZ FUD get in their games. But I thought Gino had a really interesting comment about that, how, they used to go to the other coaches and see if they wanted to play. And that's when they ran into the issues of opposing schools, not wanting to schedule them because they didn't want to get blown out on their home floor. Or they just didn't want to get blown out in general. But now Gino said that they just go straight to the athletic department and they say, Hey, you know, if we come down here, you're going to sell out. There's no use in scheduling, not scheduling this game for pride when you're going to make a ton of money off it. And Gino said that they haven't had any issues scheduling games <laughs> since. So I don't know how much of that is just Gino's wisecracking and a little bit of sarcasm, or if they actually have just started going straight to the athletic departments instead of trying to schedule it with coaches. But I thought it was an interesting point nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. And as much as it's probably a lot of him joking, like a fair point about like that you will sell out the arena. I have a friend that lives down in Atlanta and I got a text this morning being like, I just bought season tickets to Georgia Tech women's basketball because UConn's <laughs> coming. So people do like, they do come out to see UConn play and it, it definitely does do that. Right. I mean, if you're trying to guarantee yourself a seat, you probably should just buy season tickets. And I imagine for a lot of these programs, season tickets probably aren't all that expensive. So like you said, if UConn's on your schedule, people are going to start buying tickets. And then if you get people in the door, like US, what happened with USF, Jose Fernandez would always say that they would get these great crowds. And then all of a sudden UConn would come in and all those people would whip off their USF gear and put on UConn shirts. Like all of a sudden the entire crowd would turn against them. So they built this fan base off fans of UConn coming to these games, seeing how good USF was a, as a program and deciding to come back more frequently, even when UConn wasn't there. So if you get like Georgia tech, a program that's up and coming, that is in a pretty big metropolis that, Oh, suddenly this team is pretty good. They give UConn a game. Maybe someone buys season tickets like your friend, just for example, Maybe they'll decide, okay, well, I have these tickets, might as well use them, or maybe I'll give them to someone I know to see if they want to go. Like, when season tickets are out there, 
good things can only happen. So yeah, I remember just a lot of times UConn would go to these tiny little AAC gyms that the women's basketball program at these schools would be relegated to and they would sell it out. I mean, (laughs) I remember one time they went down and played Memphis and Memphis had like a total sellout. The place was packed. So Again, only good things can happen from scheduling UConn, even if you get that short-term hit where you lose a game by 50 points. That should be a cost worth offsetting in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And it's I feel like it's almost a no-lose situation because it's a game no one expects you to win, right? You're expected to lose that game by 50 points, but it's a great experience for also like the players on the other team to play against one of the top teams in the country. And if you make it to the NCAA tournament, this is what you're going to be up against. And I don't know. It feels like it shouldn't be that hard to schedule anyway, but I mean, definitely from a a perspective of selling tickets, it's always huge to have UConn or any other top program in the country kind of come in. And it must be kind of tough for someone like Little Rock, Arkansas, who UConn had them on the schedule before the pandemic, then they end up going to play University of Arkansas last season, basically knocking off Kristen Williams' homecoming game. At this point, it really doesn't seem like they're going to end up going down to Little Rock. So you had a program, big program. You were going to sell a ton of tickets because Kristen Williams' entire family and friends were going to buy. And now that game doesn't happen because of the pandemic. That one's kind of tough. Oh, yeah, that definitely sucks for them. And I'm sure plenty of other homecoming games that have been scheduled in the past that's happened with where it's a bigger team that replaces it or whatever. But, yeah, definitely a, a tough blow for them. So to move on. Last episode, we talked about the five UConn players that are going to be Olympians for the U.S. five-on-five team, that being Sue Bird, Nafisa Collier, Tina Charles, Brianna Stewart, and Diana Taurasi. Since then, five more players are going to the Olympics for a handful of different countries and competitions. Katie Lou Samuelson and Steph Dolson, as we mostly expected but weren't totally sure of, are going on the USA 3x3 team. From what I understand, three-on-three basketball has like a certain requirement for the number of games or competitions you have to play in in order to be eligible for the Olympics. So you can't randomly stick, let's just say Brianna Stewart on the USA three by three team when she's never actually played a three on three game. So they were pretty much locks to be on that team, but USA basketball just said, no, our roster is not official yet, but those two players along with Chelsea plum, Nope. Kelsey plum and Alicia gray are the same team that helped them qualify for the Olympics. They're the same team going to the Olympics, which makes sense. They should be favorites for gold. Gabby Williams is also going to play for France, which means Bria Hartley is not going to the Olympics for team France. She is injured, but my understanding is that these national teams can only have one non-naturalized citizen or one naturalized citizen on their roster. That's Gabby Williams for France. So even if Gabby was on it and Bria was healthy, Bria couldn't go because of, that rule unless they picked Bria instead of Gabby, but only one of those two could have gone to the Olympics. And then as expected, Kia nurse is on the Canadian national team and a bit more of a surprise, but something that we could see coming Aliyah Edwards also made it. So five more players going to the U S for the Olympics, all of them except Kia nurse are going to be first time Olympians. And I think just most importantly, Aliyah Edwards is going to get some incredible experience with the Canadian national team And yeah, you're not really worried about her missing time for summer workouts when she's playing at that level, when she's going to have a chance to be competing for, I don't know how the bracket's set up, but at least a silver medal. Or as Gino said, pray the U.S. loses before you have to play them. Then maybe they have a chance for the gold medal. But at the very least, she's on a team that has a very good chance of coming home with some major hardware. And when she's 
what, 18, 19 years old, that's going to be a great learning experience for her. Yeah, exactly. She's playing with a team. I think they're ranked fourth in the world right now, which is the highest that they've ever been ranked. So going into the Olympics with a good chance to medal, you're going to be playing alongside players that are already playing in the WNBA and then against players that are playing in the WNBA and professionally abroad. So it's going to be really, really good experience for her to be training alongside all those players that are already at the next level of their careers and then playing against them as well when she's just got one year at UConn under her belt. Absolutely. That's going to be a very interesting team to watch just to see what her minutes are because she didn't necessarily play a ton at the America Cup. So I can't imagine with a stronger Canadian roster, she's still going to play a whole lot, but you can't teach size. You can't take teach strength and you can't teach aggressiveness. So if Canada's getting bullied on the boards one day, just toss Aliyah out there and let her do the work that she can do. So I'm very excited to watch Canada play. I'm also very excited for these three on three competitions because I don't think I've ever actually watched one of those games and they might be at funky times, but either way, that's going to be a really exciting competition to watch, especially with a UConn player guaranteed to be on the floor at all times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm excited to watch this as well. It's not something I've really watched either, but it'd be fun to see and it's something different in the Olympics, especially because like as much as I'm excited to watch like team USA and obviously Canada with Ali Edwards and Kinners, but you kind of know what's going to happen in all the like USA five on five games, right? Like they're just going to kill the other team. That's what happens every year. So um, it'll be interesting to kind of have a USA team to root for. That's still a favorite to win it all, but maybe not such a heavy favorite. They almost feel like those UConn exhibition games or like those games UConn plays against the bottom of the barrel in the conference where we all know what's going to happen. It's more just how it's going to happen. Like what's going to be interesting about this 50 point blowout. Yeah. It, it would be the upset of the century if the U S loses at all, considering the roster they have, I'm not going to put my money on it, but it would be great to see if Aliyah Edwards and Kianers to a certain degree, but just specifically with Aaliyah's age, potential, all that. Watch Aaliyah Edwards going up against the likes of Brianna Stewart, Tina Charles, these former Huskies, especially considering she wasn't on that team that played the national team. I want Canada to do well so that they do well, but I also just very much want to see them go up against the U.S. team because there's just no better way to measure where Aaliyah Edwards is. Imagine if Aaliyah Edwards goes off for 25 against the U.S. team, like, UConn, as Gino <laughs> likes to say, can just roll the ball out there and they're going to win by 50 if that's the case. But it's going to be very fun to watch the Olympics this year. There's no shortage of storylines. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a ton of fun to watch. I need to start like looking at all the game times and mentally preparing myself for the fact that I'm going to be like on the world's weirdest sleep schedule for two weeks. But yeah, I'm excited. Have you figured out how you're going to try and pull that off because it's very weird all the games are like nocturnal basically so at least the basketball games i looked at they're not too bad starting at 12 40 but then there's also games at like 8 a.m so i think in my brain i'm just gonna try and watch everything the next day unless it's like an eight o'clock p.m tip or something uh, i've been trying to sort that out in my head because especially like the soccer games are going to be at 4 a.m so it's like okay yeah. do i want to commit to try and getting up for those but it's going to be interesting attempting to navigate those times for sure yeah i feel like it's going to depend on the event, but I feel like a lot of it I'll probably watch the next day because I feel like to me, I'm like the soccer games, you don't know what's going to happen. So I want to watch those live because it's not going to be as exciting, like knowing what the final outcome is. Like USA basketball, I can predict what the outcome is going to be. I can watch that the next day and see how they won by 50 points, you know, a few hours later. 
yeah, so at the very least, we'll have some funky sleep schedules for a little while. We are going to take a quick break and then get into NIL stuff and then also the team news. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So last week, I tried going on vacation, which was just clearly a very poor decision because I went away for Monday, Tuesday, and then I wasn't super available on Wednesday. And in that time, the NC State series and the South Carolina extension were both announced. And then the state of Connecticut officially approved its NIL legislation. Governor Ned Lamont finally signed it. And then the NCAA approved a rule change, I believe it was, that says athletes are actually allowed to do this now. It's no longer against NCAA bylaws. And the UConn Board of Trustees approved their own set of NIL guidelines. So there was a lot going on. The important thing to know with all that is that UConn athletes can start signing deals. They can start doing endorsements, just getting on that NIL train on July 12th. That is the first date for them, whereas for the NCAA in a lot of states, July 1st was the starting date. They can basically do anything that goes with their brand image or likeness, which is endorsements either on social media or elsewhere. They can be a spokesperson for an organization. I guess that is an endorsement, right? Those two things are the same. Yeah. They could sell their own merchandise with their obviously image on it. I know a lot of people not necessarily in a UConn vein, but a lot of people are hoping this is going to allow the NCAA college football game to come back, even just the NCAA college sports games to come back. Can you imagine if they come out with a new NCAA college basketball and they have women's teams and you could play with Paige Beckers? I mean, Please. if there was a 99 <laughs> rating, it would have to be her. You would have to create a 100 yeah. rating just for Paige. They yep. also do have some restrictions. They cannot have anything that conflicts with an agreement with the university, whatever that means. They also can't use any UConn branding or imagery in their work for endorsements or anything else NIL related, and it can't conflict with academics or team activities. Any UConn staffers, employees, students, or boosters can't, quote, create or facilitate endorsement contracts for a student athlete or provide compensation themselves to a student athlete. So with all that, UConn players do seem very well poised to take advantage of this. Obviously, they're some of the most well-known college athletes in the country. We've already seen a handful of college athletes, especially women's basketball players, get some of these deals. And specifically, Paige Beckers and AZ Fudd with just massive Instagram followings and TikTok followings, really, seem like they're going to make bank here. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're going to make a lot of money. But I think it's exciting that they're in this position to do that and that I think it's also just exciting looking at it from a landscape of the fact that when you're talking about who like the players are in the country that are poised to make the most off of this being approved it's women's college athletes I can't think of their names off the top of my head but the twins at Fresno State they had a giant billboard on in Times Square if I'm not mistaken yep yeah I can't think of their names either but yeah they had a giant board billboard in Times Square like on July 1 on the dot so taking advantage of it right away, which is pretty cool. 
in terms of actually what UConn players are thinking of it, AZ said today that her parents are pretty much handling all of it. So I don't know if it's exactly the situation, but it kind of sounds like players can hire agents to help with this. So it kind of sounds like almost like her parents are her agents. So she doesn't necessarily have to deal with it and be distracted by it, which I think is very helpful for her. Paige said she hasn't even started thinking about it. She wants to mentally prepare herself for it. And then when she feels ready, she's going to dive into it. Gino, on the other hand, doesn't actually think it's going to be anything all that big. He first said that he's in favor of it. He made that clear, but also warned that there could be unintended unintended consequences that come with it. He said he didn't want to like make any recommendations or anything like that to his players, but he was there to kind of help them through the process. They provided the information for them, just getting them ready for that July 12th date. He doesn't think a lot of players are really going to use it, which... I don't know how accurate that is. And he also doesn't think that players are going to make a whole lot of money. And a lot of times I think Gino makes some really good, really smart points on issues that maybe aren't necessarily totally related to basketball or things of that nature. This is not one of those times. I think Gino is way, 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 way off base here. I think not only is every single athlete possible going to at least try to benefit from this it benefits them in ways that aren't even just passive they don't have to worry about getting a stupid infraction recruiting violation for doing something minor if they want to just help out at a camp they can do one of those things like you don't have to actively go and seek out endorsements you can just kind of let it flow and yeah maybe UConn's third string tight end isn't going to make a ton of money off of this, but I think to use one of his own words, he's delusional. If he thinks that some players aren't just going to make huge sums of money off this as I should put as those players completely deserve. And as they should, they should make as much money as they possibly can off this because for a lot of players, college is the biggest platform you're going to get. Exactly. I think they should take as much advantages of it as they want to, because like you said, a lot of times these players, this is going to be their biggest platform. I mean, they could like, even if like Molly Bed could have like showed, sold shirts of her like hitting a three-pointer, like half of Gamble probably would have bought those. So there's definitely opportunities for, for, you know, not your players that are going to go play professionally after college to make a decent amount of money here. But then when you look at pay, players like, I mean, Paige Beckers and Easy Fudd and even Kristen Williams and, Olivia Nelson Odota, they have these huge Instagram followings. They're going to be in a position to make so much money off of social media. And I think, yeah, maybe that's the part that Gino doesn't quite realize is like how he's not easy, but how much that following can translate into money for them. Also, I don't even, everyone focuses so closely on social media, but I think a lot of it is just going to be like a brand representative. Like we see with I'm now blanking on every athlete that's ever done an endorsement. Like here in New England, Rob Gronkowski and David Ortiz would do Duncan commercials. Like obviously that did go on their social media, but even if you just have Paige Beckers in a commercial for something that is going to immediately draw people's attention for it. Like, I don't think it's just what they're pushing through their social media. I think those types of deals being in commercials, just being like, I think the first day, July 1st, we saw, (laughs) I don't remember what school or what the actual podcast was, but it was someone saying 
you should go listen to like this podcast. I've never actually listened to it, but I'm sure it's not terrible. Like where can we get <laughs> Nika Mule to say that about chasing perfection? Where can we get Paige Azy to say that about chasing perfection? Like it would just be, I think a lot of those things are going to be more what we see instead of like, Oh, buy this t-shirt and I'm modeling it on my Instagram. Like anything like that. I just, I think the ideas and possibilities are so far wide ranging that it's only the very, very early beginning. We don't know really at all what it's going to end up as. Yeah, I'm sure that's something that's going to become like a lot more clear over the next year, but agreed that it's just, it's so far the beginning. And I feel like there's different rules all over the place. So no one really seems to know exactly like what is and isn't allowed. So it's going to take some time for companies and everyone to get up to speed and for the players really, I think, to start making money. But I agree, there's just so many different avenues that they can come out this with to make significant money. Yeah, I'm very excited just to see what some of the ones that UConn athletes in general, but specifically women's basketball players come up with, like what local business is going to, well, first off, like what would be the going rate to get Paige Beckers to endorse something first and what businesses are going to pony up to make that happen? Do you shoot high for Paige Beckers knowing she's the brightest star or do you go for something more economical in Oh, wow. No, it just occurred to me that since international players can't sign endorsements, you can't get Nika Mule to do anything. And that is honestly a huge shame. Wow. I don't know why that just hit me randomly, but do you shoot lower and get, I don't know if Kristen Williams is lower, but I mean, everyone's lower compared to Paige Beckers, but do you get someone like Kristen Williams to sell? I don't know. What's a good Kristen Williams product. I'm thinking like something Southern. Like Kristen Williams could definitely help you sell like food as like a restaurant with her Southern accent, her homey style, like, or do you get Avina Westbrook to do something for you? Like, I'm going to be very interested. Like, you know, these advertisements are going to be running during UConn games. So we are going to see them a lot. I feel like there might be some advertisements in the stadium. I don't know. I'm just really looking forward to seeing how this all folds out and what some of the things we start to see are. Agreed. It's going to be something interesting to watch for this season in addition to obviously the fact that all the basketball that's coming, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. So we have finally started to get some very, very early reports on what the 2021-22 version of UConn women's basketball is going to look like. So last week, Gino Ariama talked to the media for pretty close to an hour discussing the team, NIL, all those sorts of things. Today being Tuesday, we got to talk to all the players for the first time in a long time. So according to Gino, everybody on the team has progressed since they showed up on campus, which I don't think is really too much of a surprise. Specifically, he said Caroline Ducharm. If you asked the trainers, if you asked strength and conditioning, the team, the other coaches, everyone is the most improved player. And I remember seeing a quote from him. I don't remember where it was about how Caroline is like the quietest person and even I think Avina today mentioned how it took some time for her to come out of her shell. She apparently can shoot the lights out. And I think she could be like the ultimate definition of a quiet assassin if she just continues to impress. And she's someone that I was really intrigued to see what she would be because, yeah, she's a top five player according to ESPN, but that backcourt is pretty deep. How does she work her way in? From the review so far, it seems like she's at least holding her own at this point. Yeah, I think kind of just going with the theme of UConn just has so many weapons in that backcourt, but if she's able to be a good, a solid contributor right off the bat for this team, which it sounds like she's making strides to 
filling in a, a having some kind of role there it's just makes them even better <laughs> that's just the theme is how much better can they get because we already know they're going to be really good in the backcourt but every kind of other thing that falls into place just makes them even better and i know we talked about in a previous episode that she's wearing number 33 which is immediately going to draw those comparisons to katie lou samuelson but she said she's always worn three throughout her high school and prep and aau career and she's had three she's had 13 and neither of those numbers were available because obviously ali edwards and Kristen williams have them so she just picked 33 because obviously she's from massachusetts and boston has a lot of great players that have been number 33 with on the celtics larry bird or the bruins a dano char the patriots kevin falk or even the Red Sox with Jason Veritek and someone asked who her favorite 33 is of the bunch. And she said, Larry bird, which is the exact same reason that Katie Lou Samuelson wore number 33. So I think it's kind of funny that there are some loose connections between those two and she didn't pick it because of Katie Lou, but they both kind of picked it for the same reason. Yeah. I'm just going to add to her getting more comparisons to Katie Lou in the future, but as unfair as that might be, I mean, I think everything that we've heard about them, they are pretty, pretty similar players. So then Gino also said the competition on this team has been really high said that if you don't compete 100%, you're the one that sticks out. And I remember last year, him saying that the freshman just added a different level of competitiveness than he had seen in recent years. And this year's team has just taken it to another level. He even said this is the most competitive team he's seen at UConn since Brianna Stewart's freshman year, which I'm bad at math in college basketball years. That was a pretty long time ago at this point. That's more than a few cycles of players ago. So for that, this team to already be gaining that type of praise from Gino, as we know, he just doesn't throw things like that out without really actually feeling he's not just going to, make his team feel good on July 1st, just because. So when he says something like that, I always feel like it has more meaning than even just what he's saying, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you, especially because he's, I think, especially this early on, like very stingy with praise earlier, usually. So to kind of have him say things that are positive is definitely, it's a good sign. And I mean, I think part of it has to come from like the writing on the wall that there is a lot of really good players on this team. So you've got to show up every day and compete for your minutes because there's a lot of players that could play a high number of minutes really anywhere in the country. So all on one team, there's only so many minutes to go around. He even mentioned that some of the returning players have said to him that he know that they know that they're not going to play the same number of minutes that they did last year. And they know that the playing time isn't going to be as available. So the fact that they're already kind of realizing it at this point in the year, you just know that preseason training camp, those weeks and months leading up to the actual start of the season, those are going to be a battle. So whoever's on the court, whatever the date is, we don't have their home opener date yet, but in early November in the starting lineup and getting those minutes, you know that they have gone tooth and nail to actually be on the court. So it's not like years past where, yeah, these are just the five best players that they have. And maybe there's a sixth and it doesn't matter how well they're playing or they're not playing. Like you just can't take them out because the drop-off is so steep, but with this team, if someone's having an off night, really won't be seeing much of them. Yeah, which I think is, as if you're a fan, like a welcome problem for you kind of to be having again, right? Like those juggernaut teams that won all those championships and kind of blew everyone out of the water. That was the case. If someone was having a bad night, there was three other people you could put in that were going to be able to step in right away and, and play at that level. So if UConn's kind of returning to that level, they're, they're going to be back at that level. 
Right. Like last year, if, I mean, as we kind of saw in the Arizona game, if Paige Beckers wasn't spectacular in a close tight game against a really good opponent, UConn was going to lose. So I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case this year, especially with how well Kristen Williams played at the end of last year. Speaking of Kristen Williams, always one of the most honest players on the team, but she just had an all-timer quote today. Here it is. I'm trying to kill everybody on the court. That's it. I know I'm like, ha ha, he he, and I'm like, Kristen, but I gotta like kick some ass if, if we're being completely honest. So that's, that's my, the same mindset I had from the Big East tournament the rest of the season is the same mindset I'm bringing. And that was, I'm killing everybody that stepped on the court. So yeah, that's something that you want to hear out of a senior. Yeah, I feel like we talked about so much last season, how she's definitely had a bit of a quiet start, but she was just so good down the stretch. And she clearly has the mentality to carry that into next season. So that's that's a really good sign for UConn. Right. I think, honestly, she could be in the conversation for National Player of the Year if we see the type of level of play that she had in the Big East tournament, in the NCAA tournament. It was, I mean... Paige Beckers led the team in scoring a lot of those nights, but I think you could make an argument that Kristen Williams was their best player consistently throughout the postseason. And that's not a knock on Beckers. That's just saying how good Kristen Williams was. So really we've been on the Kristen Williams train for a long time, but if she can finally figure things out like she did in the NCAA tournament and bring that every single night, I really don't think there's a cap on her potential. Yeah, exactly. I think she's a player that's got a lot of opportunity coming into the season too. If she built on what we saw at the end of last season, like you said, be in that conversation for national player of the year, even though obviously she's going to have some tough competition with Paige to kind of secure herself into a spot where she could be a lottery pick in the WNBA draft or even maybe a number one, I'll pick that might be a stretch, but she's got a chance to make a better case for herself going into the pros as well. So um, I'm excited to see what she does this season. Speaking of seniors, apparently Olivia Nelson Adota looks good. And we said this a couple weeks ago, and I just feel it more strongly now, but Olivia Nelson Adota is going to start on this team. She is not going to come off the bench. Obviously, you can only take what's happening in the summer workouts and what people are saying about them with a grain of salt. But it feels like towards the end of last year, she started to figure things out. Maybe it wasn't all the way there, especially with how she played against Arkansas. But I don't know. I just feel like we're finally going to see the Olivia Nelson Adota this year that we've kind of been seeing flashes of throughout time that haven't necessarily come when they've been playing the good teams. If she is a consistent player every single night, UConn probably doesn't lose. I mean, if she showed up and played well against Arkansas and played well against Arizona, UConn wins both those games. There's no doubt in my mind if she is the player that she's capable of being so. I don't know if I'm going to go as far to say as she's the most important player on the team, but she's definitely one of the most important. And it's also really good that she has Dorky Juhas, who apparently also looks good to battle with. And Gino said they've just been going at it in practice. And it's been really, really good for Liv to have that competition every single day, especially when you consider her sophomore year. They basically, her backup was more or less Aubrey Griffin. They also had Kyla Irwin, Batuli Kamara, and Evelyn Adebayo to go against her. So she has some really good players to compete with in practice, and I think that's only going to make her better. I just can't imagine a world where Olivia Nelson Adota is not starting, and she's not one of the most impactful players on the team. Just with the growth that we've seen 
and the competition that she's facing in practice. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I think because I feel like a lot of people feel like it's a big step from last year, but I think if you go back and look really through her whole season of record, like it's it's not that big of a step because it's a couple of games last year that she didn't show up in. So it's it's increasing that consistency to you know kind of come in every game instead of missing it. It's just glaringly noticeable that it was in the kind of the games that UConn lost last year, but it's, it's a smaller step than I think people think it is. And if she's having that consistency in practice, that's probably going to go a long way to getting her to that place to also have be that consistent in every game. So if she can get there, I agree. I don't think UConn loses a game. If you have her as one of the best centers in the country and not just in the way that she was last year, that she made the, you know, best that I think the top five finalists for the Lisa Leslie award and everything. But if she's like truly playing like one of the best centers in the country game in and game out and against tough, tough competition, there's, I just can't imagine UConn losing. I also think we saw last year that she's at her best when she isn't necessarily relied on to score. And I think that's why it's really good that they have Dorka here. Why it's really good that Aliyah Edwards should take another step forward, especially in scoring. And when Gino kind of said that he could see Aliyah maybe having the ball in her hands more, something along those lines. I don't remember the exact quote, but Olivia is definitely at her best when she's playing more point forward as compared to trying to be a go-to score. If she's passing the ball through the lane, rebounding, blocking shots, those sorts of things. And the offense can fall to the other players and she can kind of just get what they give her dominate and see smaller teams. And then when they play teams with size, just, you don't need her to be a scorer in those games, just hold her own down there. As we saw her do against Baylor then I think she can really thrive. And I think it just starts with having more help around her, which she really hasn't had a whole lot of throughout her career. It'll probably just take off exponentially after that. Yeah, agreed. And I think the other thing Judo said about her is that she looks like she's playing a lot more confidently with having Dorka to go up against and practice all the time. So I think that's probably a big thing too, is if she's going to be more confident coming onto the court every game, that's going to go a long way in her showing up in those big games. Speaking of Dorka, she's very tall. Like she is listed as six foot five on the roster. And I think it's maybe just cause I haven't been around people, but I forgot how tall six foot five is like Dorka's in the clouds. She is big. I don't really know what I was expecting because like all the evidence in front of me pointed to her being that tall, but yeah, she's big. And what Gino said was that she is quote long and aggressive as hell. And the only issue with her so far is that she just kind of needs to slow down. She's still a little too overexcited about being at UConn, but I always just have a little bit of hesitancy with transfers, not really knowing what to expect out of them. But so far, it kind of seems like Dorka's been what Gino's expected, aside from her being taller than he also expected. Well, that's a good sign if the only thing that he didn't expect is that she'd be shorter so or that she'd be taller. So <laughs> I think that's generally a good sign for UConn. But right. yeah, I think he's had some positive things to say about her, which is, I think, a good sign for someone that just arrived to the program a month ago. Yeah, I think I don't really right now want to put a number on how much of a contribution she makes, but I don't, at this point, I'm not really concerned about her being a part of the rotation. How big? I think that still remains to be seen and maybe could change throughout the year. Another thing that I think is actually pretty relevant, I asked her what her plan was. Like, she has two years of eligibility left with the COVID year. Does she plan on just coming this year and using it as a grad year and then going somewhere else for? her sixth year would it be or her fifth year or would she go pro or something like that but she said at least now she didn't plan on coming for just one year that could still change but she's planning to be here for two years which if we're looking forward 
that's a very good sign for UConn's front court if she is here in two seasons when Olivia Nelson Adota graduates and you have Aliyah Edwards a year older, Amari DeBerry a year older, and Azuna Brady coming in. So maybe Gino did bring her in with the intention of kind of softening that blow in the front court transition. But at the very least, I think it is interesting that we got an answer one way or another on what she's thinking. Yeah, I think if that, I mean, obviously things could change, but if that remains the case, it's going to be huge for if, well, I guess, you know, Olivia could technically stay another year if she wants to too, but assuming she decides to be done after her four years, um, not having all of the kind of the pressure from of being in the front court players and having that, that wasn't good English. Let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> not having this immense pressure on, you know, freshman front court players or sophomore front court players to really step into a role that's been being played by a senior and, that's, that's a lot to ask of a young player. So having someone with a lot of experience in there that could kind of help fill that gap would be really huge for UConn. Of course, there's also AZ Fudd. You may have heard of her. She's one of UConn's incoming freshmen. She's known for being pretty good at basketball. I liked what you wrote about how what Gino said about her is kind of similar to what he said about Paige the year prior, how she walks around with this air of confidence without being cocky and she knows that she's good. And it's just something that you don't necessarily see out of a freshman. And really from everyone that's been asked, whether it's Gino, the players, the equipment managers, they all say that she just can shoot the lights out and she has a really, really quick shot. And Gino said she just has amazing footwork where every single time she catches the ball, she's in position to shoot. So whatever expectations we put on AZ this year, whether it be a starter or all American, anything like that, I feel very good in saying right now that she's almost definitely going to help this team's three point shooting compared to the year prior. Yeah. I think that's a no brainer. It's also not very, something that's very difficult for this team to improve on because it wasn't that great last year. So (laughs) there's, there's a lot of room for easy improvement there, but agreed. I think everything's had, everyone has had very positive things to say about her shooting, but I think that quote from Gino about her confidence is what jumps out the most to me because I mean, Paige Becker is obviously a very, very talented player and very good, but I think so much of what made her freshman season as good as it was is that confidence. And I think that's that's something harder to get out of a freshman. I mean, these players clearly have very a high level of raw talent. So it's the if you can bring that confidence that early on in their college careers, I think that's even a what makes kind of Paige and hopefully AZ kind of on this other level. So I think hearing Gino say that she kind of has that same air about her is a, is a really good sign. Yeah. And I think even AZ admitted that she gets nervous about a lot of things. She's been nervous throughout the summer so far. And she was like, yeah, no Paige doesn't get nervous. So I think that's whether or not she actually does. I think that's just probably a big differential between her and AZ where I just don't think we're ever going to see anything like Paige Beckers again. And it's so tough for AZ to have to follow that when she can have a really good freshman season and not win national player of the year, not be an all American, all of those things have a very objectively successful year. And it's going to feel like a disappointment just because Paige came just before her. But yeah, the fact that she has that confidence, even if she herself feels like she's got these butterflies, these nerves, I think that's a pretty good sign. And again, I think she's going to be a really good contributor this year. I'm absolutely putting her in my projected starting lineup because I'm not going to have my, the egg on my face again for the second straight year about leaving out a generational player from the starting lineup. But it's just very interesting now that she's on campus kind of seeing what it's like, because 
for all the hype, for all the talk, everything changes once she gets on campus. And really, for the most part, it seems like nothing has really changed with AZ, which is always good. Yeah, that's always a good sign, I think, is saying that all the hype and stuff hasn't gone to anyone's head. They're just there to work and be the best that they can be. So Those are definitely the biggest positives that we've heard for the first month or so of summer. Obviously, a lot can change before the first game in November, whenever that is. But to look at some of the negatives, first, injuries. P.F., Mir, Sailor, and Paige are all dealing with injuries of varying degrees. P.F. had an off-season surgery that fixed something that she had been dealing with with for a while. Mir is having issues with tendonitis that Gino said she's just had forever. Sailor has a back injury that came from her hip surgery that I think she's also been dealing with for a while from what Gino said. So she's been limited, hasn't been able to participate. And then obviously Paige with her ankle surgery. And then in terms of actual players that are playing, the one that stood out to me the most is Gino said that Aubrey's just Aubrey. And when she's great, she's great. And the second part that he didn't include was when she's not, she's not going into her junior year. It doesn't exactly give me a ton of confidence that she's still the same player that we've seen for the first three years, because yes, those highs are so incredibly high, but you kind of would have hoped by this point that maybe she had figured things out a little more and was more consistent. And I don't know, maybe it's just a throwaway line from Gino, but I just don't feel great about her potential as a consistent contributor on this team. If maybe she explodes for 30 points a couple times, throughout the season and can be a disruptor on defense. Yeah, that's still great. But by her junior year and with the potential and talent that she has, I think I would be a little disappointing if she still just is that hit or miss type player. Yeah, I agree. I think we're, we both probably probably felt the same way that watching her, her freshman year, and then hopefully we thought she would build off of that more last year. Didn't really see it, but you knew she was dealing with some nagging injuries and things like that. So you're hoping more that it's attributed to that, but it doesn't really feel like that with the way that Gino's framed it, at least. I mean, it's been a month of workouts. It's it's a lot to try to guess off of, but it's it's a little bit disappointing to see her kind of feel like she might be kind of in that same role versus growing her role over that time. He did say that he's been not only telling her to shoot more, forcing her to shoot more by saying that whenever she has an open shot and doesn't shoot, he's going to pull her off. And he mentioned that she makes a lot of those shots, so... If she can add maybe more of a shooting element into her game, we saw a lot more so her freshman year compared to last year that when she can drive to the rim and blow by defenders, she is really, really effective. So maybe by getting more of a three-point threat, we kind of saw it last year. She took a couple shots from deep, but really not a whole lot. She can make that a threat and force defenders to come out on her. It's going to be a lot easier for her to drive past. So maybe as that part of her game develops, the rest of it kind of comes along and comes together better. But even still, I think, I mean, last year, one of my hot takes was that she's going to be in all American consideration. I don't even know if she's going to be in all big East consideration this year, which maybe she proves us wrong and she's better than we expect. But I, I just be a little disappointed if she was still just kind of a rotation player as a junior. Yeah, I agree. It's a little disappointing, but I also think you know the competition to be, in this rotation has just gotten a lot stiffer since her freshman season as well. So if she's not going to kind of develop into that player that everyone wants her to be, then it's going to be even harder for her to find that space too, which is why she's kind of falls off of that issue, even in all Biggie's consideration, but hopefully she proves us wrong. Another player who hasn't looked all that great, according to what we've heard from the players and Gino throughout the preseason is Amari DeBerry. 
What Gino said was that for every step she takes forward, she takes a half step back. Kristen said that she's still just trying to figure it out, but is making progress. To me, it kind of sounds like, obviously, she's a talented player. I would guess it's probably going to take her a year to really figure things out and earn some significant minutes outside the fourth quarter. I'm not really all that concerned with it, but I just think it's good to know where she stands, at least in this point in the year, as a freshman who's, it sounds like, in above her head at the moment. Yeah, and I think, like you said, that's not really a concern. Not every freshman is going to be like Paige or AC that you're going to be talking about. Are they going to be in the starting lineup in the you know on opening night? So I think that's somewhat normal for a freshman. And UConn has plenty in the front court to to use in their lineup. They're not relying on her to come in and have this huge impact role this year. So she's got time to figure it out too. I think kind of in the way that those Brianna Stewart teams really threw off expectations for what should be realistic for what UConn does where now if you don't win the national championship undefeated every single year, it's a failure failure. I feel like Paige has probably just thrown off expectations for freshmen for the rest of history. I mean, Maya Moore was an all American and then Paige Beckers was the next one. And you think about how many great players UConn has had in between then, including Brianna Stewart. And none of them were at the same level as those two as freshmen. Like, even AZ is probably going to struggle this year. Paige didn't struggle at all as a freshman, which is very, very rare. AZ's probably going to have some really bad stretches, or maybe not really bad, but she's going to have some tough stretches in there where she isn't necessarily playing at her full potential. And I think people are going to lose their friggin' minds, and it's going to be really annoying <laughs> to deal with. But I think we just kind of have to recalibrate our expre- our expectations for freshmen that aren't Paige Beckers, even someone as talented as AZ Fudd, but especially for some of these... I don't know what the right word is. Lower rated players like Amari DeBerry, even Caroline Ducharme. And I think Sailor Poffenbarger to a certain degree. I think even if Sailor doesn't make a huge impact this year, yeah, people are going to look at her early arrival and what she did there. But I think Sailor could be a player that doesn't do a whole lot this year. And then Kristen leaves, Avina leaves, the backcourt kind of opens up. Then maybe she finds more of a role. But I think a big thing with freshmen is patience and really looking more for their good moments and hoping that those outweigh their bad by the end of the season. But even still, you can only take what happens in a freshman season. You can only take so much out of what happens in a freshman season. Yeah, exactly. And I think you made a really good point that Paige has kind of just like blown the expectations for that to a level that are just so unrealistic. And you talk about even a player like Stewie that struggled her freshman year and that should be the expectation. So I think people need to hopefully not, I think we're going to see a lot of comparisons between Paige and AC just because of how hyped up they were. And they're both supposed to be these generational talents, but to, I think, expect AC to come in and replicate what Paige did is just completely unreasonable. And it doesn't mean she's any less of a generational talent. It just means that what Paige did was really impressive and probably not something that will ever happen again in women's college basketball. I mean, it took how long for there to be a freshman that was a national player of the year. So it's, it's not something that's supposed to be considered normal and like everyone should be repeating. Right. Paige Beckers might literally go on to be the greatest basketball player of all time. Like, I don't think that's out of the question. I'm not saying it will happen, but like that is a legitimate possibility. So trying to compare what every single player has ever done to her, it's just really not realistic. And I think Paige is just such a different level than everyone else. And like I said, like anyone else will ever see. It'll just be very interesting to see what AZ does. 
She doesn't need to be an All-American, but I think it is reasonable to have decently high expectations for her as a freshman. Maybe not All-American level, but you'd hope that she's a pretty consistent contributor for this team and a good scorer and all those sorts of things. An impact player. So just one quick thing to wrap up. One of our favorite segments here is making fun of South Carolina, and we don't do it because we want to. We do it out of a duty because we have to. And the latest thing they've pulled is they got, well, it was like SEC champion rings, which, okay, that's kind of soft, whatever. I'm not going to make too much fun of that because like, whatever, you do what you do. They also have a second ring that says nothing on it that they were flaunting everywhere on social media. And it doesn't explicitly say what it is. And it doesn't have anything on it. It's just a bunch of diamonds with a South Carolina logo. But we all know that South Carolina not only raised a banner for themselves as national champions, they have now made their own friggin' national championship rings for finishing first in the AP poll in a season that got canceled. Again, we are not talking about some upstart program that has never done anything. Dalton Staley literally has a national championship ring from when she won the national championship. And yet she is making national championship rings up for her team for something that they did not accomplish. Very South Carolina. Very South Carolina. Part of me is like, I can't believe they actually did it. And then you remember that the banner is hanging in their arena right next to the international championship banner. And you're like, well, (laughs) I guess they did. But yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't understand when, especially as a program that has a national championship. I feel like it's like disrespectful to Asia Wilson and the team that won that national championship to try to like equate finishing number one in the AP polls to actually winning a national championship. We're also two seasons away from that happening. Why are they like pulling out these rings now? That's so weird. As I've said before, South Carolina is never going to win another national championship because (laughs) when you act like a team that's never been there before, you will never get back. I will die on that hill that South Carolina, mark my words, will never win another national championship. I'm willing to get hot take old takes exposed on that because I know I never will. (laughs) Well, luckily probably no South Carolina fans actually listen to our podcast because otherwise I'm sure if they win one, they would put you on full blast on Twitter for that. So, (laughs) Oh, some, one of, I mean, they're psycho. One of them definitely will find this (laughs) clip it and then hold it forever. (laughs) Because they will have to hold it forever because South Carolina will never win another national championship. So they can do what they want. Oh yeah. Please. But I'm convinced they have like a Google doc of every bad take that they, or every take that they don't like, because (laughs) I feel like anytime I said something and it's wrong and they didn't like that take, I get like many, many retweets of like a two month old tweet on Twitter. And I'm just like, what is happening? Why am I (laughs) all of a sudden? Why is this popular? And it's like, Oh, this is why. (laughs) Yeah. It's, just a different breed. I think that is yep. the nicest way to put it. A different breed down there. Anyways, that's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show, review it, tell your friends, read the Yukon blog. Also subscribe to the Yukon Women's Basketball Weekly. Megan, send us home. One important piece of news we didn't talk about before our next episode, Space Jam, the new Space Jam comes out and Diana Taurasi is in the new Space Jam. So that's exciting. That's a good shout. Yeah. Once we see it. (laughs) Yes. We'll have a full review on here. Other than that, thanks for listening.